Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt. I'm an executive coach and a professional speaker. I created this podcast to speak to progressive CEOs, uh, strategic HR leaders, forward-thinking experts who are passionate about leadership development and humanizing the workplace. And so, of course, it's no surprise that today's guest is very aligned with that passion and that mission. Um, the mission that Cecile has in the world is to champion humanity in the global workplace. Uh, I adore Cecile. I've known Cecile for, I think it's about three years now. And um, she just shows up so powerfully in the world with the work she's doing. So my guest today is Cecile Peer. She's the founder of Whirling Chief and uh, Cecile Peer Consulting. She's an industrial and organizational uh, psychologist, and she's also an HR executive. Welcome to the show, Cecile. Thank you so much for having me, Kirsten, and the admiration is mutual, if I may say. <laughs> um, and it's exciting because Cecile is, is talking to us from Switzerland, so we're hoping that technology will be cooperative with us today, uh, mm -hmm. but to, please bear with us if we have any of those glitches that show up with the technology. So Cecile, right away, I love to start with my guests by asking them, when you think of inspirational leadership, what does that mean to you? Hmm, what a wonderful question. Um, so I'm someone who is quite caring about taxonomy. Um, so when you put inspiration together with leadership, it makes me think, how do I think about spirit and how do I think about leadership? Um, so I think about spirit and I think this is actually the taxonomy of it as sort of having a breath, you know, having that sort of space. And leadership for me is sort of claiming accountability around um, finding and unleashing potential. And that could be with processes, it could be with people. So in some ways, I wanna say, inspirational leadership sort of awakens new possibilities for us to perhaps transcend ourselves or um, you know, discover new ways of doing things, you know, instead of having ordinary experiences and limitations. So that's sort of what comes to my mind, uh, Kirsten, yeah. Yeah, it feels, as you describe that, it feels so, so filled with possibilities, right? It's not right. something might look like this now and it's what can you create? And I almost think as a leader, you're co-creating, right? That experience you have with the people around you. Um, Cecile, there, there's a reason I find when we start to think about this work and, and trying to go out there and humanize the workplace and um, create these environments where people can do the, their best work. Um, my experience is that there's a certain path that has brought you to this work. So mm. tell me a little bit around what you've experienced on your path that may, has made you so passionate about this work. Mm. Oh, that's a great question too. So as you mentioned, I have been been an industrial and organizational psychologist all my career, right? And I've spent all of my time in HR and organizational development space. But I think in terms of discovering my mission and what we wanted to do in the workplace, um, if I were to sort of go back 10 years, I think at some point in my career, I realized a lot of people come into the space of leadership and also business management um, with the background and understanding that productivity is achieved only through one means. And that's usually around finding efficiencies and sort of using your resources in, in a particular manner. 
And as an IO psychologist, you, know, you have to study clinical psychology as a background, but also you have to build on that to understand how to use people as your key resource and your key talent. And so I've started realizing, oh my God, people don't understand. There's another way to productivity. You can actually unleash people's potential individually and collectively and create this ecosystem where people can thrive and therefore they can be more innovative, they can be more productive, etc. And so I think that realization is sort of what started tipping uh, the scale for me. And once I decided to step outside of the corporate space and sort of go into consulting, more and more I discovered oh yeah, that's exactly what's missing. Like people totally understand how to manage a business. We have a gazillion books around like how to run operations well, but we don't really have an understanding around how to uh, create this dynamic platform where people can sort of be themselves, where they can relate to each other and connect in an effective manner and sort of unleash what they have with the passion and the productivity that we expect them to have. So I think that's been kind of the past in sort of a high level, um, Kirsten. And I'm I, really, it's sort of turned into a life mission for me, right? Like uh, my personal mission in life is to sort of create the safe and loving space for people, um, whoever they may be, whatever their stories might be. So I've sort of taken that into workplace to say, okay, how can we create environments where people sort of find meaning, find inspiration, feel safe, but also enjoy what they do so they can bring the best of themselves. Yes, yes, yeah. And and this is what you and I are, are both so passionate about. It is that sense of belonging. And and it makes me so excited and happy that we can use the word love, right? Love uh-huh. in the workplace. Love in the workplace is not just romantic love, right? We hear that word love and it ha- means a lot of things to all of us. And um, as you're saying that, what was really uh, driving home for me too is uh, something that I talk a lot about is, you know, let's stop calling these soft skills, they're, they're human skills and the, the human skills are critical. And it's not that it's one or the other. It's not that all of a sudden we're saying, oh, we don't need any of the operational or the management or how to figure out. Of course, that's part of it. But bring the human skills into it and work in tandem with both of them. Now it starts to create this, this place where, as you've mentioned, there's the efficiencies, but productivity shows up in a different way. And, um, and I know I've, uh, you and I have talked about this before as well. It's, uh, you know, 21st century leadership. It's not command and control anymore, right? That doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't work anymore. Um, Cecile, I, I've been very interested in following along with the work that you've been doing at Stanford. So talk to me more about this project that you're doing with Stanford. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so what happened a couple of years ago was that we were sort of picking up on data. So I have to read a lot for my work, right? Like I read a lot because I love the space that I'm in, but I also sort of have to stay ahead of uh, some of the trends. So there's a lot of research that I dig into. And I started seeing some data, like one of them um, that I remember precisely is that since the year 2000, 52% of Fortune 500 companies completely disappeared. Right. So that was a big one for me. And in fact, I remember the day because I was in India at the school, uh, Indian School of Business Teaching. And we had a conversation with some of the executives who were in my class. So I remember the day pretty vividly. And then there were other ones that were sort of picking my interest. Like in the U.S., it was recorded 
that one out of five companies were going to fail for sure. And then I read quite a lot about child development and adult learning because a lot of the things sort of go, you know, hand in hand. And I realized 65% of the children who go to school today are, are being taught for certain skills, but the skills that they're being taught for are going to be completely irrelevant in 2030. So it started, it prompted a conversation with my team around, like the landscape is shifting so much and there's no way businesses can sort of stay ahead of the trends and know what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. How can we help them in transition? And so one of the questions one of the team members asked was that, well, what happened to the remaining 48% of the Fortune 500 companies? <laughs> like, how are they staying relevant? And what are they doing right? And so we, we, we laughed and we toyed around the idea. And then eventually it actually turned into a theory to say, but maybe they are doing some things right. Can we learn from them? And can we start by helping businesses mimic what's worked for these organizations, what's made them resilient, and then maybe continue to learn from there, right? It's not gonna bring all the answers. So anyway, that's how we turned to Stanford. We actually considered a number of institutions, but Stanford um, has a dedicated center around compassion and altruistic research. And we thought, if we're going to study some you know, behaviors that are um, in relation to leadership, then we definitely want sort of the right mind and heart space yeah. you know we didn't want it to be profit driven so we sort of turned to the turned to the center and said you know would you be interested in partnering with us anyway so we did two things we did a meta-analysis which means looking at all the studies that have been done in the last 20 years to sort of validate some of our theories but we also did an actual study, we went to the 48% of the Fortune 500 companies and said, would you be interested in being part of our study? Not everyone agreed, but we ended up with 120 or so organizations. And we did ask them, what's made them, what's made sustainable growth a possibility for them? Now, how, how have they considered value creation, you know, going from 19th to 20th century, now into 21st century? And we did find some common threads. We found five leadership behaviors we felt like they were mimicking across. And from there, we started sort of digging deeper. Are there specific mindsets that are sort of feeding these behaviors? Are there specific attributes? And sure enough, we found a number of mindsets that were sort of trending across organizations and a number of attributes too. So that's sort of the, study in a nutshell i know i said a lot let me just stop for a second and see where you want to go with that oh and i think that's great i think it's it's wonderful when you have the data to support right so it's not just that we're saying this is what we believe it to be and it's theoretical you're actually going out there and talking with the organizations that are doing this really well um so i'm very intrigued and i'm sure all of the guests are intrigued and you're probably <laughs> sitting at the edges of your seat wondering what are those those themes that you saw in terms of the the behaviors that were were most critical to success? Yeah, I, I so, use the word success carefully because um, success in terms of um, being profitable companies, but also companies where people want to work and they're doing their best work. Right. Th yeah. Th thank you for that too. I agree. I think the definitions matter quite a lot. 
Um, maybe let me try to give maybe one example from each, you know, one leadership behavior, one mindset, and maybe one attribute. And if people were interested to, you know, learn more, there is a free downloadable summary available on our website. They can very much go to it and take Amazing. it for, uh, for their read. So one of the leadership behaviors, for example, was, and, and I have to mention, some of it was conscious, Kirsten, and some of it was unconscious. Nevertheless, it was there, um, was around how they thought about leadership. So in these organizations, they didn't think of leadership as this um, special status that was sort of geared towards a few and perhaps at the top of a pyramid. They actually saw all of their people resources as leaders. Mm. That doesn't mean everyone had a manager title. That doesn't mean everyone had a specific executive title either, but they were treated as such. People were empowered in their roles for a specific budget, for a specific responsibility, for decision-making. People felt that they can freely share information and or challenge ideas. Yes. And they felt accountable for whatever investments or commitments the organization was making. So that was one of the leadership behaviors. Um, one of the mindsets, for example, uh, we found was abundance over abundance focus over scarcity. So a lot of the business organizations, when you go in, and this is really very much related to who we are as a society, we are taught in a way as you were mentioning the definition of success, success for us means I have to win and someone has to lose. Or for me to win, someone has to lose, right? This zero-sum mentality. Yes. And in these organizations, it was interesting. People in their seats actually focus more on the uh, you know, glass half full side. Like they actually felt like they understood there may be limitations to some resources out there, but they acted as though there were unlimited amount of money. There was unlimited amount of time. So if someone inquired for their FaceTime, they would be willing to sort of give that presence. They shared rewards, some monetarily, some non-monetarily, pretty freely, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, so they, they acted as though things were unlimited in the environment. And what they did for the people was that there was no this unconscious competition and people felt like there is enough in the environment and therefore I can make space to have the necessary conversation. Someone doesn't have to lose for me to give. So we are not in direct competition, so to say we're on the same team. And that abundance sort of mindset actually enabled people to grow more conscious with one another and as a result of that consciousness, they were indeed using resources more effectively too. So it's, it's a whole cycle, it's wow. quite unbelievable. Wow. Um, and then one of the attributes, I don't know which would make more sense to people, but for example, purpose was one of the attributes that we discovered, right? Yes. Um, so in these organizations, um, we found people felt they, there was a sense of clarity around their life mission and they knew how to take that to the workplace. And so when they came in to their job, they felt like they were serving a bigger mission. Yeah. And because they felt fulfilled, 
whatever the strategy the organization was putting in front of them, they could take that strategy, internalize it, turn it into a story to share with their peers, with their teams, to inspire people. And therefore, they were contributing to formation of more meaning collectively inside the environment. So they were affecting the climate. And so we, we actually did something. We went back for a lot of these attributes to validate whether the opposite was also true. And it, because, because that's statistically speaking, that's how you sort of make sure things are right, right? And, and they were. So where, where there were organizations, and these are outside of our study, but we went to other studies to sort of validate across yeah. inside organizations where people couldn't realize their life mission, they didn't know what their purpose was and they didn't know how to internalize the company's purpose to inspire their employees. Indeed, they were contributing to formation of more lacking collectively. Mm -hmm. So there was less satisfaction, so to speak, with the employees that there was less, there was more co confusion around who we are as a company and what are we trying to accomplish. Anyway, so those are one sets of examples, but it's quite it's quite amazing what we have discovered. And the, the beauty in this for me, the real catch is when we go to speak to CEOs, everyone wants to have agility, right? Like everyone wants to have an agile organization. Everyone wants to have an innovation. Yeah. But the way organizations go about making this a possibility for them is either buying a technology or buying a concept and like taking that and embedding into the organization and what we are telling them is you don't need an agile tool or an agile toolkit to become an agile it's all in how people become if they can exercise more foresight for example that was one of the other attributes they actually contribute to formation of being more agile because they create this sort of dynamic where they're looking at the past, they're thinking about the present and they're thinking about the future. And so there's more flexibility and fluidity in terms of how they behave. Yeah. And so that's the challenge. Or for innovation, for example, you don't need a technology per se. That may be part of it. But unless people are in this wondrous mind state, another attribute we found was wonder, then they're not being open to new ideas, to new people. They are not seeing the interfaces and intersections of things. And so they can't do synthesis and they can't see emergent ideas. There's not going to be innovation. But if they do exercise this, exercise this sort of beginner's mindset, indeed, they contribute to formation of innovation inside the environment. So that's the beauty. Like we, we really, have been able to say no how you become as an individual actually has an impact on who you become as a team and the climate that you create as an organization yes, yes i can see that okay, I'm getting and, off my no i mean first of all there's such a book I, i'm thinking like i want this book and put this yeah. in ceo's hands that's the first thing that's occurring to me and for everybody listening i'll make sure there's a, a place in the notes where we can download this so you have availability um, to look through um, the, the entire research and the study and everything that came back. I mean, so many things jump out at me as you're, you're talking there. And I think 
one of the pieces that gets me really excited is the reminder that part of this is also about self-leadership, right? So you don't have to be a leader as a title to be able to, to put all of these things into action. And I can definitely say as a coach, um, so much of this shows up in the work that I do with individuals too, like really getting clear on their why and their mm-hmm. purpose and showing up. And, and as they get, if they get really clear on that bigger vision, uh, who do they need to be every day to be able to get to that bigger vision, right? How, how are they being, how are they showing up? Um, I also get very excited when you talk about the abundance mentality, because um, I, as an individual, I've seen this often too, right? Whether it's in the workplace or outside of work, where when there's more of that scarce, scarcity mentality, um, it can really prevent that person from uh, experiencing life in such a beautiful way. Because when you're in the abundance mentality, all you see is opportunities, right? So I know, Cecile, you and I both have this strong abundance mentality. It's like the more we can support each other, the more we can lift each other up. Um, we don't feel like, oh, if I lift this person up, there's going to be less for me. It's like, no, 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 we're all in this together. And yeah. when we collaborate and when we co-create with um, others, it's so much more powerful. You can always do more together than you can do on your own as that lone wolf. And that same philosophy, I think, shows up in the workplace when you really when you really get that you understand that whatever you're trying to create in that workplace and especially when you think about innovation mm-hmm. uh, it's that you can create so much more when you're working really well with others and having that team synergy absolutely absolutely I fully agree and it's really a pity that we have been trained to think in a different way yeah. right because some of that is so engraved in our DNA that I sometimes find for me, just to personalize it, if I'm meeting someone for the first time and at the end of our greetings, I say, is there anything I can do for you now? I really do see in the eyes of the other person going, why is she asking me that? Like, what is she gonna expect of me? So there's this, and, and I mean, we are curious creatures as human beings, so there's, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, in, by all means, I'm not judging, but I see it, like there's this sense of fear because we are taught that if someone is being collaborative unexpectedly or compassionate unexpectedly, that there's gotta be something in it for them, right? What's <laughs> so, the catch? <laughs> what's the catch, right? Um, anyway, no, I, I fully believe in it, and. It is, it is how I try to operate a lot of the times. Um, I, I mean, you know me quite well now, but I really, I don't like the word competition even. Like I will turn away pretty quickly if I feel like there is that sort of sense in the environment. Um, and, you know, I hope that more people, we can rob on more people. I, I really do. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, Cecile, you started to go there a little bit, but I always think it's helpful for, um, for, for my guests. Like we're all humans. We're all on this journey of learning and developing. And um, this is where it's sometimes a little bit more vulnerable. And you share whatever feels comfortable for you. Um, you're a leader out there. Um, what, have, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned as a leader? And, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent. Um, every day I ask my daughter, I try to every day, let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't happen, but um, how are you kind? How are you brave? How did you fail? Um, Because I'm really trying to teach her that, um, right? Failure is not a bad thing. It's, it's understanding when something didn't go well, what did you learn through that situation? It's not that you are a failure, what you did didn't work as well as you had hoped. 
Um, so I think there's so much learning if we take that time every day to even ask ourselves, you know, what went really well, what didn't go so well, and what, what might I do differently next time? So what have been some of your lessons on your leadership journey? That's a hard question. First of all, I love that you try to take that time with your daughter. Uh, it's just, it's quite wonderful. And I may just have to take that framework and perhaps work with leaders too. <laughs> it may just work. Um, in terms of my journey, it, it truly has been a journey. You know, some things um, I would like to say I'm learning well, other things I'm still continuing to learn. Um, so if I sort of think about the concept of self, you know, starting with my identification, you know, my spirit, I think I have always known who I was and what I stood for, but that has definitely become a lot more clear for me over the last few years. Um, so I really know where my roots are. I know my values. I know where my um, boundaries are. And I try to communicate that as clearly as possible. So that feels pretty good. Uh, in terms of my uh, capabilities, especially mentally, I think I'm pretty clear on my strengths and potential development areas. And similarly, I try to communicate that well too. Um, socially, I really work hard in relating better. Um, and I think I've made quite a bit of leadway there. Um, so one of my um, opportunities for learning over the years have been uh, to manage stress better. So I, um, I've sort of grown a fast career track. Kirsten, I know you know that, but for some of the listeners, I became a first time manager at the age of 21. And then I was in an executive position before I was 30. And there's something to be said around life experience and the scope of responsibility that you receive. And some, in some ways, there was a mismatch for me. Yeah. And so when I felt like there was a lot of business to be taken care of, I sort of closed my eyes at some of the people aspects and the relational stuff, yeah. right? Like that was my way of coping. I just didn't know any better. And I think with age and with time and experience, I've learned to say, you know what? It's okay if I slow down the business a little bit now because I have confidence that I will be able to get it done. But it's really important for, for me to keep the people on the bus. Like it, when it comes down to that, I now err a lot more on the side of the people. And I've proven myself now time and time again that when I do that, things actually like flood after that, like the business runs and we, we make do, we make it on time, we, like we manage whatever we are supposed to manage. So that's been a great learning. One thing I continue to work on, I think is around how do, we sh how do I show up? And, and I mean that both physically, but I also am working on my voice. I know you know that again, but for others, um, I have a very anxious body and there are very legitimate reasons for that. You know, there are childhood traumas and experiences and things that people may not even be able to imagine that I had to go through, um, which I've been able to overcome. But the bodily memory is a lot stronger than mental memory. And so I, I just, I'm an anxious being, you know, even if I had to do something for the hundredth time, I still get nervous, my hands are still cold. And so I'm trying to learn 
to live with that. Mm -hmm. So one of the examples, last week I was in California, we were shooting a course for LinkedIn Learning and I walked into the studio and this was the second time I'm working with the same team. So there was a bit of comfort, but it was freezing cold. And they do that for a good reason. There's a lot of lightning and cameras and it, it gets hot very quickly. But I now know if I'm cold physically, I'm not at my best because I, I, my, my attention goes very quickly to my hands and my feet. And so I said, guys, this is not going to work. <laughs> You're going to have to heat up the room before I come in here. And they were like, seriously, I said, seriously, and you better give me a cup of hot tea too. Like, I, I just know that I tense up, right? But again, it's something I'm coming into terms with. It's something I'm learning. It's something I'm sort of learning how to better navigate and how to best communicate without intimidating others or shutting people down. Yeah. Um, so those are sort of things that come to mind. Um, just mm. you know, being more true to who you are, I guess, mm. in, in a nutshell. <laughs> mm. oh, um, wow. Yeah. Those were so many beautiful lessons and thank you for, so for being so honest and open and, and, and sharing. Cause I think so many people can relate to everything that you shared with us today. And I, I think one of the things that I want to highlight that I, I really want to celebrate in what you just said there is that part of us not only being authentic, but really being self-aware and understanding ourselves well is knowing what our needs are and communicating them. Right. So it takes a lot of, courage. Um, I was just talking recently for our, the last podcast with uh, Kimberly around brave leadership. And I think I a part of, Kimberly. yeah, Kimberly yeah. is amazing. And I think part of brave leadership is about knowing what you need and communicating your needs in all areas, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. work or outside of work. Um, and it can take a lot of courage and confidence to be able to do that. So you recognize for you to be at your best, that's something that you need, right? It's not like, I, I think of Mariah Carey and like her demands if she's going to go sing at a concert. It's not like, you know, it's I'm not, not like there yet. Dance, right? I need champagne. I need chocolates. I need my room to be this color, right? It's mm. just authentically um, yeah. communicating what you need. So I think that I hope everybody who's listening, um, it gives you permission to, to understand your needs and what it looks like to communicate them in a very compassionate, loving way, but just letting people know how you can show up as your best, what your needs are. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I listen to all your podcasts and especially with Mike and Mark, which were some of my recent ones that I, uh, listened to to be both mentioned permission and I so agree to that um, part of my story also uh, involves carrying this feminine energy which I have a lot of right I'm pretty spiritual person I'm um, you know fragile in that sense like I carry a big heart and an open heart which can very easily be scarred but there's also power to that and for many, many years, because I was the only female in the leadership teams in the boardrooms I was in, I felt obliged to carry a masculine energy. And so I would dress up in that way and I would speak in that way and I'd be like super aggressive and like, it was like a tennis game, you know, bang, 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 bang. And now I've sort of given myself permission to be who I am, which is a lot lower, you know, it's, it's calm, it's zen, and it's funny and goofy, 
but it gets the job done. So, (laughs) and, and to be honest, it's quite powerful. I've discovered people actually come out and say, that was a lot different than what I'm used to. And yet it felt really effective. So um, once you give yourself the permission, you may actually discover that some things work for you rather than against you too. Um, And such a great reminder that people really tend to gravitate towards the energy of you being who you truly are. And it's exhausting when you're trying to be something that you're not to fit into a mold. Yeah, so true. (laughs) Very very exhausting. Um, So Cecile, as we start to um, end today's episode, I always like to give the guests an opportunity for final thoughts. One last thing you would like to leave with them. Um, What comes up for you? Hmm. Wow, that's hard. Um, I don't know. I didn't think about that. But, you know, maybe I'll I'll go about it this way. I was thinking in case you asked me like who who were my mentors, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I have to admit, I I think I suffer from not asking for mentorship, right? Earlier on earlier on in my career. Like I wish I had a wonderful list to share. And I have I do have a wonderful but very short list to share. But what I'll say is that there are people that I really look up to and follow religiously that inspire me. And many of them are not business leaders. (laughs) Mm. So I follow philosophers. I follow scientists, mathematicians. Um, Krista Tippett, for example, who is a journalist who does the On Being podcast and studies human condition and sort of religious and theological backgrounds of people. Um, Melinda Gates, who, the, who does nonprofit work, like I, I'm super close to these people and their work. And I have to say, if you're looking for new ideas and creative ways of thinking and deepening in your expertise, look outside of your expertise. Maybe that's something that I leave people with. I spend way too many hours in the boardrooms trying to solve for problems. And I wish someone told me if I'm out in the nature and playing and listening to all these wonderfully creative people, it would just come to me. And that's what I found in my creative process. I, I really am fed a lot by non-business books and people now than I am. I, I read both, but I get a lot of the inspiration from the other, just as a put, I guess, put for thought. <laughs> yes, I think that's some some really good um, insight to to leave for the audience. As you start to diversify, it's amazing as you start to hear something in a completely different field. How you can apply through that learning, it almost feels like it expands from a creativity standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's funny as you were saying that was just reminding me that you know, for 10 years, I really noticed that everything I was reading was nonfiction. Like I love to read. I'm a ferocious reader and I just eat it all up. Memoirs and biographies as well. But then I realized that I was missing out on the other piece when I'm reading fiction, I get lost in a book. And through that story and the narrative, um, there's a lot of learning and insight that comes from me that doesn't have to come through educational, right? I'm learning through 
that narrative and it can be incredibly powerful and I had forgotten about it. So that reminded me of that as you said that. Um, but also, yes, the, the diversity of um, different thinkers and expanding. I, I always say that even with HR leaders, like it, you, you want to know the business, not just your area. You want to go and have coffee dates with all of the different areas of the business and understand their world. Because as right. you start to understand those different worlds, it just expands your mm -hmm. way of seeing everything. Mm -hmm. I fully agree. And the last bit about the nature, if I may, just quickly, Kirsten, one of the things that I've discovered is that we are, our capacity is so pushed, um, really to the limit, that when I'm out in the nature, there's this almost calming down, right? Yeah. And I mean, scientifically, we know this is true, but the more I'm out, I spend now almost one third of my day outside, uh, either walking, you know, doing phone calls while I'm walking or running or swimming, whatever, or skiing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm outside. What I find is that I get this clarity. And then when I sit in front of my computer or when I'm in a room with a C CEO or a chief HR officer, I'm able to solve problems a lot more quicker and with a lot more clarity. And so I really encourage people to just sort of get out, get out more um, and, and, you know, do away with technology for a while if possible. <laughs> oh my goodness, Cecile, we could do a whole episode on digital detoxes. It, I know. Always end up going on digital detoxes, but like you said, nature and what feels counterintuitive is that um, when you're feeling really overwhelmed, the best thing you could possibly do is actually to step away and get away from whatever you're doing and get in nature, get in fresh air. Uh, I've been known if I'm like that to actually leave my desk and go to a yoga class. Um, mm -hmm. There was one time I remember I was telling a story that um, I was just noticing I, I really needed to get some clarity around something. And I said, you know what I need to do right now? I need to step away from the computer and have a bubble bath because water <laughs> is so right. I love that. <laughs> giving permission. It's coming back to the giving permission, but also counterintuitive. And sometimes what that looks like is actually um, stepping away. Cecile, thank you so much for being mm -hmm. on the show today. You're most welcome. I, I wish we could do this for hours, right? Yeah. I love talking to you. And if there's benefit to the audience, even better. <laughs> uh, you've, you've shared lots of valuable insight. And I will, in the show notes, have information for where you can learn more about Cecile. And for anybody listening, um, the podcast is now available on, I, on iTunes and on Podbean. So please feel free to go on there and write... Um, your thoughts around the show and hopefully it's been a positive experience because the more people hear about it the more it'll have exposure to others getting a chance to hear all of this valuable insight thank you so much cecile yeah thank you for having me again kirsten bye bye, -bye.